Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and sitting across the table from me, it's Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. How you doing, buddy? I am great. We are here to talk about derbies. Specifically, what is a derby? Yeah. Why is it called a derby? Interesting. And isn't it pronounced derby? You would think so. <laughs> for, that's for our American audience. I think I've answered everything. <laughs> there you go. Show done? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Except not at all. We're also later in the show going to name some of our favorite derbies. Mm-hmm. Not all of them because we'll be here all day, but we'll, get, we'll also get into why. What makes each derby special? That works for me. Okay, so let's answer the big question first. Why is it called a derby? Because I can understand, especially if you're um, a new soccer fan, say in the United States, you're just thinking, What? Why is it the Merseyside derby? What What is going on here? Mm-hmm. Well, as with most things that originate in England, I would say it's a little confusing. Is that yeah. the best way to put it? It's always some weird English thing. You all have That's too much history <laughs> is what it is. Uh, because really, I think what it comes down to is that there are two possible explanations. Yeah. One seems more likely than the other is how I'm going to phrase that. I would say there are two possible explanations and one's right and one's wrong. Okay. That's my, that's my feeling on the issue. Can I take a guess? Is yeah. the horse race run wrong? No, I think the horse race really? one is okay. correct. All right, let's yes. talk about it. Should we start with that one then? Sure. So mm-hmm. this goes all the way back to 1780. The 12th Earl of Derby. The 12th, that's exactly it, the 12th uh-huh. Earl of Derby. So there's a new horse race that's inaugurated um, in Epsom, um, and it's hosted by Edward Smith Stanley, the 12th Earl of Derby. And so they named the new race the Derby Stakes mm-hmm. in honour of the Earl of Derby. Okay. Simple as that. And so it becomes such a big thing. It is still the big horse race in England. Everybody yeah. sort of bets on this and gets excited about this, even if they don't normally care about horse racing. Mm-hmm. So again, 1780. From there... Derby just becomes this sort of generic term for big sporting event. That's how big that horse race is. Mm -hmm. And then it just gets rolled into the Merseyside Derby, the North London Derby. They all become the North London big sporting event. Okay. It's really really as simple as that. All right. Well, as my guests uh, earlier may have indicated, I'm not sure I agree with you. But before we get into maybe debating the origins of them, let's also maybe explain the other possible explanation for the the origin. Other possible explanation, which I'm not buying, but it sounds mm-hmm. like maybe you are. Um, it goes to the uh, the Shrove Tide Tuesday match, mm-hmm. which is a weird, big. It's technically football from back in the day. I want to say like late 12th century is the mm-hmm. first uh, historical record of it. Where in Derbyshire, which is a county, which Derby City is within the county, but in Derbyshire in Ashburn, um, there's this massive medieval football game. Mm-hmm. That essentially, the goals are quite far apart and they're like at the top end and bottom end of a town and two gigantic teams try to push a ball um, towards each goal and it basically takes all day. Did you read the rules for this thing? I did not. Some of them were like, it is illegal to murder. That's one of the laws. They instituted the laws of the game. They instituted that one after the fact because I think the initial one, they were like, or like when it was first started, there were like over a thousand participants and there were multiple fatalities. There were. So I guess they had to make that rule happen. Yep. And also, um, the game has to stop at 10 p.m. (laughs) was another one of the rules. How very English. So my guess is that the the other explanation is that that people. This became like a big sporting event, mm-hmm. the Derby, uh, which is happening in Derbyshire. So big football matches starting being called derbies. Well, I, w- I would say more, the reason why I think it makes more sense is because you're talking about a football match that consists primarily of participants from one half of a town versus the other half of a town in Derbyshire. Mm-hmm. To me, all of the like familiar symptoms of match within the same city, ri- local rivals in a place called Derby. Yeah. To me, that 
makes more sense. I'm not saying it does, and I'm saying maybe they've like that's a lot of apocryphal history. Mm-hmm. But to me, there's still so many jumps in the like. There was a big horse race, and it was named after the Earl of Derby, and we went from a Derby horse race to a two teams from the same city not liking each other. There's a lot of jumps in there that I don't quite connect. But here's the big thing, mm-hmm. right? People say local Derby, yeah, right. Because derbies are not always local. This is true. Right? So Manchester, Liverpool, two different mm-hmm. cities. Barcelona, Real Madrid, two mm-hmm. different cities. So derbies are not just about something going on within the same city. Yeah. Derbies are just big sporting events. Mm-hmm. Here's the, my other um, evidence for derby being the name for a big sporting event. Kentucky Derby, mm-hmm. the Home Run Derby, all these things in the United States, they're all named after that concept of uh, Derby being uh, a big sporting event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would say, though, that one of those is also a horse race. So yeah. to me, that makes well, more one sense. One of them is not. <laughs> true. True, true, true. But I still, I still am going to say Shrove Tide. Why not? All day, every day. Wow. A match that still happens. Just saying. Of course. Yeah, yeah. but more as like a, a fun historical reenactment. I right? can't hear you over the sound of it being the obvious uh, answer to this one. But no, I, I think you're, I think conventionally, uh, the conventional wisdom is that yours is probably the actual answer. Yes. It just makes it <laughs> seems like there's just a lot of jumps in there that make me question it. I'll put oh. it that way. Okay. Well, if you're done questioning mm-hmm. it, I want to talk about it a little more. Let's do it. Um, there's a chance that this this horse race uh, was going to be called the Bunbury mm-hmm. because there was a famous guest apparently at this first event in 1780 um, called Sir Charles Bunbury. And the the um, maybe apocryphal story is that the Earl of Derby and Sir Charles Bunbury flipped a coin to see who the horse race would be named after, and Derby won the coin toss, and so it was the Derby Stakes. Mm-hmm. So we could be talking about the North London Bunbury. That that feels like a thing that a landed member of the aristocracy was probably not going to gamble on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> like they wanted their name on as many things as possible. Well, maybe the twelfth third of Derby had a double sided coin. That could also be. <laughs> <laughs> or they probably just named it after him. Anyway. He, he is. I have heard that uh, the twelfth Earl of Derby is also the inspiration for Harvey Dent. <laughs> that, could, that could be wrong. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds apocryphal. <laughs> um, all right. So um, if we take uh, my version yep. to be true, I also uh, read up on. When people first started using this, especially when newspapers first started using this phrase, it was apparently 1840 is when they would first start using uh, that name, Derby, mm-hmm. to refer to uh, you know, big rivalry matches. Because yeah. that's what we're really talking about, right, mm-hmm. is some sort of big rivalry match. Yes. Before we get into naming some, uh, some of the more interesting ones, I want to get into this Derby thing. Sure. Because I think that confuses a lot of Americans because they'll hear um, – I keep using Merseyside Derby because it's just the one that comes most mm-hmm. readily to mind – and then I think people will be confused about whether they should be calling it Merseyside Derby. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? Uh, I say Derby. You do? Uh, and, and that's, but and you say Home Run Derby and you say Kentucky Derby. Because right? those are American things. Okay. And I think that's what it comes down to for me is like we strive, we try on the Total Soccer Show and on this show. Total Soccer to, Show is our other show. Please download that and listen as well. Um, we try to, I think, do our best job with pronunciation, mm-hmm. with reflecting where the players come from, where yeah. the teams come from. We take the Samuel Beckett approach. I don't know what that is. Fail better. Okay. That was his advice. <laughs> Stop being English is my <laughs> advice. Um, no, but it, it's basically, I think for me, it like I know that you call it Derby. I know that my primary source of soccer, like in my youth, was watching English soccer. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of where my like origin of soccer comes from, at least in terms of like fandom. Yeah, yeah. And so to me, it makes sense to follow that route. Yeah. Like if I'm talking about American soccer, if I'm talking to Americans, I'll say soccer. If we were in England, I would know better. I would call it football. Like okay. I think I have like you can like flip that switch a little bit. Yeah. I don't think I would ever call it like the Manchester Derby because I think right. most people know it as Derby. Okay, I, I bet there's also as well for maybe mm-hmm. you and for other Americans. There's that original thing of not wanting to appear that you don't know anything mm-hmm. about soccer. Yeah. And I feel like even if it's not true, calling it the Manchester Derby 
would be like some weird tell uh, to some hardcore soccer fans that that maybe maybe you don't know as much as you actually do. I promise I'm not trying to just consistently rip on the British here, but it does feel like that is a specifically uniquely English thing. That yes. like like if I if I said call it a derby to. Uh, for like, for lack of a better person that comes to mind, Jonathan Wilson, like a football okay. weekly of uh, inverted pyramid. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would instantly be like, "Well, it's actually Derby." It comes from and like would tell me that story, <laughs> but he would probably also say like Ilkay Gundogan. Like he he wouldn't he wouldn't really yeah, yeah. like trouble himself to properly pronounce that. Like the English mm-hmm. don't really go out of their way to pronounce other people's names. Oh yeah, but then we'll also be like, "How do you not say it right?" And there's definitely as someone who has you know lived uh-huh. a long time on the other side of the Atlantic, there's yeah. definitely a thing of being very ready to look down on the way Americans <laughs> say soccer things, yeah, including the word soccer, which is probably a whole separate episode of mm. Soccer 101 that I'd be excited to do. Yeah, and yeah. so with that said, and I'm I not that's... saying that's a good idea, by the way. I'm kind of saying we, the English should not be doing that. <laughs> that's yeah. fair. But I would say this: like, if somebody says Manchester Derby, I'm not going to be like, "Don't you mean Derby?" <laughs> like, I, that's you don't want to be that person. You want to be uninvited to future. Exactly. That's the way but to like, go, right? I personally would say Darby. Uh, and I think if you look at the pronunciation, it's not quite the al- aluminum aluminium where there's actually a different spelling. Uh-huh. But if you look it up, it will say like British Darby, American Derby. Yeah. Like it spells it out that way. So Kentucky Derby, Home Run Derby. I'm struggling to think of a third one. I, like, I want to rhetorically have three. Can you give uh-huh. me a third Derby? Uh, the 12th Earl of Derby. Get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> And then we'll go the 12th Earl of Derby. Yeah. Be very disrespectful to get the name <laughs> right. Uh, and Derby County and the Liverpool Derby, excuse he's, me, the Merseyside Derby, and so on. He's rolling over in his, I assume, well-appointed grave. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a mausoleum. Before we get to um, maybe, you know, getting into what mm-hmm. makes some of these derbies very interesting, today's episode of Soccer 101 is sponsored by, you guessed it, Postmates. I've heard of them before. I expect we'll hear from them again. Uh, <laughs> when you need red wine at 4 p.m., sushi at 9 p.m., a breakfast burrito at 8 a.m., you can Postmate it to get those products. Or if you're enjoying this episode about Darby's and you want to get, like, rival products in so you can enjoy <laughs> two different things while you hear about rivalries, yeah. you could order uh, – I'm, I'm trying to think here. You could you order can... Indian and Pakistani food oh, <laughs> to wow. really set it off. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, you weren't ready for that one, were you? And have a chat about the Kashmir region. <laughs> yeah, exactly. While wearing a Kashmir sweater? <laughs> I was thinking – while thinking, listening to Led Zeppelin's Cashmere. Perfect. <laughs> Got it. Nailed I was it. thinking you could find like uh, the two rival taco places in your town <laughs> yeah. and just get a taco That's a better one. from each one via Postmates. The less serious one. Get them to arrive uh, as close as possible and then Perfect. have a taste off. Yeah. A taco off. All right. <laughs> sure, sure, I, don't, taco I don't know what else you could do here, but I'm going to leave it alone. I'm, I don't know if you're in a state where you can have alcohol delivered. You could get like uh, Bushmills and Jameson. So you've yeah. got like Protestant and Catholic Irish. You could do uh, that Postmates. Yeah, exactly. Here in Virginia, you'd have to send Postmates to the ABC. Store. You would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't know if you want to do so that. So the way it works, pretty much anything that you want, yeah. uh, Postmates will. The service is, they'll go pick it up for you and bring it to you. They it's will. It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Even better, their bike flies through the air and goes through the stars. Is that how it works? At least based on the logo. Ah, based on the logo. That's how they get there so fast, (laughs) I'm pretty sure. They do, and if you are, say, involved in a derby and you're not sure if you can go outside because maybe things are too tense, (laughs) then you stay inside, Postmates brings it to your door. Is this in Istanbul? Yeah, you just crack the door a little bit, take the food, you don't even have to go outside, no one can see you, you're safe in there. (laughs) Yeah, no more trips to this door, Mm -mm. no trips into the throngs of rival soccer fans. I mean, actually, now that you bring it up, there were definitely times when I would walk to the store, which was like two blocks away from Beshitasha Stadium, and I would like make sure I wasn't wearing anything like Galatasaray colored. During uh, like when it was a match day, just because you know you never want to uh, uh, n- like 
frustrate people if you don't have to. So if you want to get started with Postmates, yeah. you can download the app for free on your Apple product or your Android product. For free. And then you can like browse, see what's around mm-hmm. your local restaurants. Pretty much any restaurant worth its salt in your area is connected to Postmates. Mm. I know that because I checked here in Richmond and everywhere that I liked, it was on there. Restaurants should have salt, by the <laughs> way. Restaurants should also have salt yes. in the food, but not too much. Not, <laughs> not just, too much. To, just enough to make it tasty. Uh, <laughs> they should, and they should have it uh, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, which is exactly what Postmates offers yes. you. They'll bring you what you need within the hour. And then for a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100. I did that like on a game show. Mm-hmm. A free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, you download the app and you use the code Soccer. That's code Soccer for one hundred dollars of free no, it's delivery credit. Hundred dollars. <laughs> My mistake. I, I'm going the more like Bill Hader SNL uh, oh, host, where it's a little me. bit like for one hundred dollars, <laughs> uh, a free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download Postmates and save with code Soccer. Mm-hmm. I also want you to take a moment to mention like the reason that Soccer 101 we've been able to do this first season. Mm-hmm. Is that we have a sponsor like Postmates that it helps. is willing to sponsor before the, the the whole show was even live. So I just want to say I'm very grateful that Postmates was willing to sponsor Soccer 101. As am I. Now let's talk uh, favorite derbies. But before okay. we do that, yeah. we should probably talk about what like constitutes favorite. I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. Because have, have we specifically said what constitutes a derby? I guess we have, right? I've talked about how it's not local, how it's just some big rivalry yeah. for any reason. Which yeah. is interesting because I think like my my understanding of derbies was always before I think even before researching this was that it is a local derby is what a derby is, mm-hmm. but then you can have other fierce rivalries which have evolved into being called derbies. But yeah. you're right, that's not the case at all. It really is just like that fierce rivalry between two teams for whatever reason can uh-huh. be a derby. All right, so do you want to kick us off, Taylor? What, which derby would well, you like to talk about? I do, but first I would like to say that like there are, as you said in the very beginning, there are so many derbies out there that mm-hmm. could all you know have their own half an hour, hour-long episode. Yes. Um, and I say that up front to say that like the rivalry, the Super Classico between Boca and River in Argentina, yeah. that is, in my opinion, the biggest rivalry because it is it affects like an entire country and it like in the world over everybody wants to watch it everybody's fascinated by it i don't have that much of a personal connection to it and Mm -hmm. so to be honest i feel like it would be disingenuous for me to sit here and talk all about how much i love this and how much it means to me and why it's so cool and i think what i would end up doing is telling you a lot about stuff that i've read that makes it seem interesting to me and isn't necessarily a thing that i have like more of a personal connection to and that's what a lot of mine are going to be i think also both of us even if we don't want a minute are are slightly soccer hipstery so we've chosen more more interesting than the obvious. For example, neither of us have El Clasico, no. which I would argue is, I actually think is the biggest one. Biggest one going, yeah. not least because they have the best players in the world mm-hmm. at Real Madrid and Barcelona. Again, that's probably well, Barcelona, worth... they sure do. <laughs> hey, you don't know when this episode's going out. They could be <laughs> Champions League winners again. You're right. Um, so uh, that, that's probably worth its own episode mm-hmm. of Soccer 101 um, sometime in the future. Northland and Derby is full of passion and everybody loves that. That's not, I don't think either of us have that one either. But Basically, there are lots of big ones that won't get mentioned today, but I wanted to sneak in a mention anyway. All right, that works. <laughs> um, so with all that said, I think I'm, I'm going to go strangely uh, John Cusack, high-fidelity style. I'm going autobiographical here. So I'm going to start with Manchester United v. Liverpool. I guess you could call it the Northwest Derby. Uh-huh. Uh, that for me was like uh, the first time I really got into soccer was like like – 
like aside from playing it myself, was as a Manchester United fan when I was like I was like twelve years old, mm-hmm. and it really was in that period where like the team becomes your identity almost, and yeah. so it was like I'm a Man United fan, you're a Liverpool fan, like oh, I'm going to talk trash to you. Yeah, yeah. I don't really talk as much trash anymore, mostly because I'm I'm old enough and wise enough to know that it comes back to bite you. <laughs> um, but at this time, it was like I feel like this was like this rivalry is the most reflective of like my tribal mentality mm-hmm. to the point that even uh, like I think a while back we were watching a Champions League game. It was the PSG Liverpool game, and it, like. I didn't really want to root for PSG, but I could not bring myself to root for Liverpool, and it's because of this rivalry. Mm-hmm. Okay, I got you. Yeah, so now you've, like, obviously you have lived in England. Uh, is that, would you say that is, like, the biggest, most dramatic rivalry in England? Uh, might be the North London derby. Yeah. It's, I think it's mm-hmm. between those two, okay. right? I would also, weirdly, the Merseyside derby, which mm-hmm. is Liverpool-Everton, gets a good billing. It's yeah. often one of the televised games. But Manchester United-Liverpool has this weird, I think history because with all due respect to Everton, Manchester United mm-hmm. are the more successful team. Liverpool are obviously a very successful team and it becomes this thing of these two teams uh, going at each other to be you know, the greatest in English football. And I think that's the key thing because first of all, I mean, they're like 121 or more uh, various titles between the two. It, it is the two most successful teams. Mm-hmm. I think it's also the case that this is the one that was like, when I was growing up, this was the two biggest teams. You had other teams coming in there as well. But it wasn't the same as, say, probably kids growing up who were like 12 when Man City first started getting money or 10 years old. That is probably the formative one now. And yeah. really, it's probably like Man City-Liverpool at this point. It's like the, <laughs> those two teams that are routinely the most interesting and compete the most uh-huh. regularly. But I, I feel like this used to be like on the level of El Clasico at at various points in history yeah. because it was the two biggest teams going against each the other. The weird thing to me about the Manchester-Liverpool derby, mm-hmm. there's so there's a city pride rivalry because yep. they're both in the northwest. They're not too far apart, right? Even though it's obviously not the same city. The interesting thing to me is even though there's two great teams, it's almost never them going for the title in that same season, right? There's the Manchester-Liverpool derbies where Liverpool through the what late 70s and through mm-hmm. the 80s were the best team in England. And then there's... Manchester United, basically through the 90s and the early 2000s, were the best team in England. Yep. But it was never they were the two best teams in England. And like Man United win the league one season, Liverpool win it the next season. Yeah. Right? Man United did not win the league at all through the 80s. Liverpool did not win the league at all through the 90s. So it has this weird and like, symmetry and, and asymmetry to, to it. <laughs> Don't bring it to this show. Don't bring it to this show. I, I won't. I won't. Anything else to say on the Manchester-Liverpool derby? I mean, like we could get into the various incidents that kind of stand out in that one. but It gets a bit like, listy then. I don't I feel like, really yeah, I feel that. like you can find those highlights. All I'll say is uh, I will forever love Gary Neville for uh, grabbing the badge and showing it to the cop. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was at home, so it might have been just to the traveling fans. <laughs> so you went John Cusack style, uh-huh. biographical. I've done the exact same All thing. Right. My first one is the Black Country Derby, uh, which is the Wolverhampton Wanderers, my team, versus West Bromwich Albion game. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe a quick bit of history in case no one's heard of the Black Country. It's the region that I'm from, so-called because there was so much industry, uh, you know, factories, foundries and all that, that the sky was literally black with smoke and ash and industry. Seems like a great backdrop to participate in an athletic competition that requires <laughs> lots of heavy breathing. Yeah, it's, the, it's the cough, cough, cough derby. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right, black so, country, black long derby. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so obviously this is the one that I have, you know, a personal um, thing where I've been in the middle of it and I've observed it. And it's the real thing where, you know, you would go to school mm-hmm. or, you know, you go to the factory, go to the office. Um, and depending on who's won, one side is up and one side is down. This mm-hmm. is true of all derbies, but it's just this is the, the time when I've really seen it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it has this extra special thing to me. But what, like, was – did you have that same thing where – 
uh, on match days at least? Were you like, West Brom, I can't stand them? Or, I, or have you always had that Daryl Grove neutrality about you? I think I have a bit of that neutrality where I don't want to get into the othering someone yeah. and then hating them. Mm-hmm. Actually, this whole Derby thing makes me uncomfortable because so much of that mm-hmm. happens, right? Yeah. Um, but what I do have is like, I still know that that rivalry is there, and so I have nerves, essentially. Anytime Wolves play West Brom, I just have nerves that day because it might go wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, it might go wrong. Right, but then let me ask you this. Do you have that same thing uh, that I have with Liverpool with West Brom? That like, if they're losing, will you do a silent like, yes, this no, is how it's supposed to be? No, okay. I don't. Right. And, but part of that is, part of that is, it's also one of the reasons mm-hmm. I like this derby as well, is this derby doesn't happen all that much anymore, mm-hmm. right? Half the time, they're in the wrong division. Like, there's a long time Wolves are in the second or third tier, West Brom are in the Premier League. We recently passed each other, so now Wolves are in mm-hmm. the Premier League at the time of recording. In your West, face, baggies. West Brom are in the second tier. You know what I'm saying, though? It's yeah. like, this thing has now become special yeah. because unlike Manchester United Manchester and Liverpool, you don't know that you're definitely getting it twice a year. Mm-hmm. You might not get it for four or five years at a time, right? Yeah. It might not exist at all. That makes sense. Um, um, I, one more question for you yeah. about this one. Uh, do Is this the type of thing that, like, is, is it passed down? Like, is your father a Wolves fan and not a West Brom fan? Yeah. Is, your, are, is your brother as well? All yeah, your siblings? It's, it's roughly your area and uh-huh. your family and your friends, right? right? Some people, if the family hasn't passed it down, then you get peer pressured by your friend group into supporting a certain team. That makes sense. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, one thing I re- the, the one thing I really love about this is the, there is a weird, like, black country sense of humor, which mm-hmm. I would say I have a, a little bit. This is, like sunk itself into this derby as well. So there's an exchange of songs that has happened between Wolves and West Brom fans, mm-hmm. which if you'll indulge me for like a minute or two, um, I'm going to share with you. I'm I not go- always want to hear Daryl Grove sing. I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the lyrics. Always want to hear Daryl Grove <laughs> sing. All right, so you've heard me talk about Steve Ball, mm-hmm. right? So in the 1990s, late 80s and the 1990s, Wolves' best player, Steve Ball. 70% of the earth is covered by water, the rest is covered by Steve Ball. I don't remember saying that. I believe that. you've told you. I believe that was on the very <laughs> first episode of the Total Soccer Show. You said that. He was, he's Wolves' like all-time leading goal scorer. He's this big um, hero, right? He's from the area, right? So West Brom fans, when Wolves and West Brom used to play each other a lot in the second tier in the 90s, West Brom fans used to sing, Stevie Ball's a tatter. You know what Tata is? I do not. So it's other than the, the first name of the head coach of Atlanta, or <laughs> was the head coach of Atlanta. This is spelled. This is spelled differently. <laughs> um, so Tata is like an insult, meaning your clothes are all tattered, like you're poor, basically. Yeah. Right. So Stevie Ball's a Tata. He wears a Tata's hat. He plays for Wolverhampton, and he's a swear word twat. He runs down the left wing. He runs down the right. But he couldn't score a goal if he played all swear word night. Right. Uh-huh. So West Brom fans just singing a big insult song about Wolves' big goal threat. Yeah. Then Wolves fans started singing soon after, especially when Steve Ball got called up by England. He was briefly an England player, 1990 World Cup. Stevie Ball's a tatter. He wears an England cap. He plays for Wolverhampton, and he's a lovely chap. (laughs) Scores with his left foot. He scores with his right. And when we play the Albion, he'll score all swear word night. (laughs) So I say that not just to... um, to share some wolf songs but mm-hmm. i love that in terms of in derbies i love that playful yep. back and forth with language where no one really gets hurt but you you get to have like a humorous like jab at each other yeah I, I, yeah i do love that Th- those songs are definitely my favorite the like whenever like uh when chelsea were having a bad season and then they would sing like we're staying up after scoring a goal yeah, yeah. it's always those moments that make me very happy and they yeah. do seem to come out even more hilariously and dramatically when it comes to derbies so there you go that, that's my uh my my brief potted history of the uh the black country derby yeah, all right well you talked a little bit about like othering of of people and i would yeah. say that like that is like for my next one the thing that kind of 
like drew it to my attention the reason why I mentioned it here, and it's Hamburger SV versus FC Saint Pauli. Oh yeah, um, a smaller one, but one that I love because like my background is sociology, history, and anthropology. And like this, honestly, the t- the total soccer show and these types of topics are the things that made me really excited to do these shows in the first place because it's a blending of history and all and culture and soccer all together. It's really like what I enjoy about the sport. It really is. When people say keep politics out of soccer, that's the whole reason why I started really following soccer all the more. All right. And this to me is a good example. Sam Pauli do not keep politics out of soccer. They do not, <laughs> which is part of the frustration I think within this rivalry because um, they're from the same city, uh, Hamburg, obviously which is the second largest city in Germany on the coast. And it's historically this very eclectic, I think pretty left-leaning city. It's very artistic. You've got a lot of like different musical movements. The Beatles, I think the famous story is like yeah. the Beatles, that was where they first played mm-hmm. out of outside of England. Um, and so these two teams represent that city. Hamburg are historically the more successful uh, in the 70s and 80s. That was their big time to shine. Uh, that was also, especially in the 80s, when they became more associated with the right wing, something that they've worked very hard to not be associated associated mm-hmm. with now, but still are, especially because their most, like, in terms of geographic proximity, rivalry would be FC St. Pauli, who are about as left-wing as you can get. <laughs> but St. Pauli is in Hamburg. Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they basically, like, split, uh, I forget what the name of the street is. It's, like, their red light district, but it's, like, they divide that street oh, in almost half. I, oh, I can't recall it, but I've yeah. heard the Beatles talk about the name of that street. Exactly. Yeah, yeah which is, it's kind of a misnomer. The Reaper Barn. Yes, yes. There we that's go. what it is. Yes. Um, like, Thanks, Paul McCartney. Oh, no, they're very much in the same city, <laughs> but that's, that's the thing that, like, makes it really interesting to me is, like, FC St. Pauli, intentionally reflected like the punk rock uh, movement that a lot of people were into anti-fascism uh, like it's more like stated their stated objective is to be a social movement they believe in the club existing for social good mm-hmm. uh, that at least was like the founding principle of the 70s and 80s it does seem like a little bit more recently it's become slightly more uh, violent which I think was kind of what you were talking about which is like once you get into a little bit of the othering of things and it really becomes more about like violence and like you know standing your ground then it becomes like playful chants and stuff like that Mm -hmm. then you kind of go into an area that I maybe don't love as much anymore. But I love things like uh, one of the recent ones. Did you see the things about the, the banners back and forth between mm. the two? Oh, like a TIFO back and forth. Exchange. Yes. So this, this is, is the equivalent of the Wolves West Brom songs, yeah. but printed on giant sheets. Yeah. This is, and this is like, it's kind of representative of the two uh, clubs. Maybe HSV fans would di- would disagree, but in August of 2018, HSV were relegated finally. HSV being Hamburg. Yeah, uh, were relegated for the first time. FC St. Pauli are in the Bundesliga 2, so it's the first time they played this derby in seven years. Uh, in August of 2018, HSV Ultras unfurled a banner that said, Satisfy our lust, 100 of you, 100 of us, challenging them to a fight. What? Uh, when FC St. Pauli did not respond, the next uh, home match, uh, HSV fans had happy hour, two for one, you can have 100 and we'll have 50. Uh, to which St. Pauli finally responded with their own banner, Satisfy our lust, 1,000 joints and 1,000 beers. <laughs> which is, and like, I just enjoy that and I then I just became Team San Pauli. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I like I did find it interesting that um like I, I saw an interview with a Hamburg fan who was saying like we're not this like right wing organization. It's just FC San Pauli are so left wing that we look <laughs> conservative by comparison. But he so was like, like we're centrist, but they're way to the left. And I like this is where I'm sort of mixed because he says he, the guy says like of course we're anti fascist, of course we're anti Nazi. We don't feel like you need to say that. We're more about like 
like support our team. And then the the documentary I was watching cut to an FC Sent Poly fan. And he was like, no, I want to know that the person next to me is like stated anti-fascist, anti-Nazi. I want that known going in. And I was sort of like, yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. So I think I say all that to say, can't I definitely we just lean. All, can't we just all be not fascists? Yeah, that's that's the way to go. But <laughs> I mean, the pirate the the pirate flag that is representative of FC Sent Poly, I think that's also on all their corner flags. Mm-hmm. The fact that this like super left wing uh, club, their stadium is overlooked by this giant bomb shelter from uh, the Nazi era World War II. Like it's just all of these different like cultural historical symbols and signs and like uh, things of import all factor into this one a lot for me. All right. So Hamburg, St. Mm-hmm. Pauli. Okay. I've gone uh, for my next one. Ajax versus Feyenoord. This is Ajax Amsterdam mm-hmm. versus Feyenoord Rotterdam so, in the Netherlands. So we're moving away from limited violence into lots of violence. Is that so, about it? Yeah, I actually, I chose this as one of my few without realizing how bad things had gotten yeah. between these fans. So before we get to the fan mm-hmm. violence, which really should be very much secondary and the worst part of all derbies, yeah. I want to talk about the soccer Let's part of it. it first and maybe the, the cultural things that led to the soccer mm-hmm. part of it. So this is um, a rivalry between cities that almost predates the the soccer stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So Amsterdam is the capital. Amsterdam is the cultural center. Amsterdam, if you ask the people of Rotterdam, is elitist. Mm-hmm. Rotterdam is a port town. Yep. It's blue collar. It's more, they consider themselves more like the hardworking type thing. So this whole rivalry is set up as this opposition of essentially, I want to say like working class v middle class or like hardworking versus sort of lazy cultural elitists, right? Yeah. So that's the whole background to, to this story. Um, Feeding into that is the fact that Ajax is the more successful team, yeah. right? Ajax has more European Cups and Champions Leagues. Ajax has more Dutch titles. Well, when you're laying around reading books, there's more time to <laughs> practice tactics versus working on the ducks. Well, just think of that whole Ajax crew, uh, late 60s, early 70s yeah, revolution. Of like, hey, it, it was all about thinking about football mm-hmm. in a different way. Yeah. So that feeds into this rivalry as well. The other thing that feeds into this rivalry that I really do love is the size of their stadiums. So every time one of these clubs builds a new stadium or redoes their stadium, they make sure it is at least slightly mm-hmm. bigger of course. than the opposition stadium. Gotta get that petty It's in a there. little bit like, you know, like the whole Manhattan skyscraper race of mm-hmm. the 20s and 30s, just who could build the biggest one. So as things stand, at time of recording, oh we recorded this in 2018, the Johan Cruyff Arena, which is the Ajax Amsterdam Arena, 54,990. Uh, De Kuip, which is Feyenoord Stadium, 51,117. That's how many people it Ooh, seats. Feyenoord's losing. Feyenoord are planning a new stadium with 70,000 seats. There it is. So that's scheduled. The latest <laughs> estimate, it's been pushed back a few times. Yeah. Latest estimate is that it opens in 2022 slash 23. If this episode survives that long, I'd love to know if that, if that happened. But you can bet that as soon as that happens, Ajax will be thinking... All right, we're gonna we're gonna expand, or we're gonna build something new. I hope they did, they just get into like theoretical announcement territory, where then it just becomes who can announce the bigger stadium yeah, faster. Yeah. And then I are just like, yeah, we have plans for a hundred and fifty thousand seat stadium. And they've got this classic argument thing where yes, Ajax have won more Champions Leagues, mm-hmm. especially Ajax had that run in the seventies. They won it in seventy one, seventy two, seventy three, the European Cup. Feyenoord were the first Dutch team to win the European Cup in 1970. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like they lit a fire under Ajax to go and have to win three to to have some argument to Feyenoord winning the first European <laughs> Cup um, for a Dutch team. Um, can't uh, move on without mentioning there has been horrible fan violence yeah. in the last, say, 20 years or so. There was a guy that was killed in 1997 mm-hmm. when the fans arranged to, to have this big fight. It's got to such a state right now that usually um, Ajax will ban its fans from travelling to Feyenoord for the, for the derby and Feyenoord will ban its fans from travelling to Ajax. They just mm-hmm. want to keep, keep these guys apart. So can't move on without mentioning that. Right. I've also got one story to share with you, which I believe you already know. Johan Cruyff. Mm-hmm. Do you remember the Johan Cruyff story? I sure do. 
but we should talk about it anyway. So Johan Cruyff is famously an Ajax product, right? One of the greatest players of all time. But uh, towards the end of his career, Johan Cruyff, mm-hmm. um, in 1983, won the double, the League and Cup with Ajax Amsterdam, then couldn't agree a new contract. Mm-hmm. And he was mad at Ajax. And the best way he could think of sticking his finger in the eye of the Ajax Amsterdam uh, board and the team was to go and sign a contract with Feyenoord. Is, is he, and I say this, he's one of my favorite players, if not my favorite player. Is Johan Cruyff the most like petty player in the world? He can, I mean, he definitely believes in his own greatness. And if someone disagrees with his greatness, he will prove them wrong. Hell hath no fury like a Cruyff scorned. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, he went and joined Feyenoord yeah. only for one season. I assume got well rewarded for it as well, financially, yeah. which is part of, also part of the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, he won the double with Feyenoord, including they lost the first game, but they they beat Ajax the the second league game. Mm-hmm. Um, Cruyff scored one of the goals. Of course he did. Yeah, and he left as a League and Cup winner with Feyenoord. Yep, yeah. celebrated with a cigarette, like all good <laughs> soccer players of the 1970s and 80s. You can't argue with what Cruyff did, smoking no. or no smoking. All right, one more each. We've got yep. time for one more each. We do, I, I believe. And uh, this, is, this is, like again, autobiographical. This is the one that has like, more recently affected my life. Richmond it, Kickers versus Charleston Battery? Of course. I thought about that one, did actually. Really? I did. Uh, but in the end, it's going to be the Intercontinental Derby. Uh, it crosses continents. It's Galatasaray Fenerbahce. I forgot you were in Turkey for of at least a year. Of course. Right? Yeah. At least, yeah, yeah. Uh, a year and a half once. It felt six, longer time. Six months, another time. Yes, and that's important to me to note because I was there in 2005 when the stadium ban had just gone into effect that Galatasaray fans could not attend matches at Fenerbahce Stadium and vice versa because, to go back to your point about Feyenoord and Ajax, there was so much violence. I think there was multiple people stabbed in multiple games, uh, multiple fatalities, but it's all rooted. I think the first violence was in 1934, and it's been a very violent derby uh, since. Okay, here's the question I want to know yeah. about, though, and I think listeners will be interested in. Yeah. Why is it the intercontinental derby sure. if it's in Istanbul? Yeah, because you have the Bosphorus that splits Istanbul in half, uh, and the Bosphorus divides Europe and Asia. Galatasaray... It's a river, right? Uh, yes. It's a big uh, old river. It is indeed. Galatasaray, founded by high school students at Galatasaray High School, not surprisingly, in 1905. That was on the European side. Side, which is considered to be that was in the area where the embassies were because Istanbul, Constantinople, actually at the time was still the capital. You couldn't have it in the old city, so all of these like the cosmopolitan part of Istanbul was where Galatasaray was founded. Mm-hmm. On the opposite uh, side of the Bosphorus, on the Asian side, uh, was where Fenerbahce was founded in 1907 by basically locals in that area. But that was definitely not the glamorous side. It was basically where you lived because you couldn't afford to live in the other two parts of the I city. Yeah. And so that was kind of the dynamic for the longest time. Galatasaray, the rich cosmopolitan right. team, Fenerbahce, the working class team. That is very much... Such a Queens Manhattan thing. Yes. That has very much <laughs> changed, though, nowadays, because both of them are very wealthy, very cosmopolitan. And yeah, very, yeah. very rich. Besiktas, I would say, is the. Um, if you, like, I think I've said this before, but like, if you have a taxi driver, that person supports uh, Besiktas. Why is that then? I think it's it's the club. It's the blue collar blue collar club. I see. Uh, their their ultras are called Charsha. Their symbol is the like anarchy logo. They're all about like uh, like Mayday. They're the ones who are out there protesting for workers' rights. Actually, I want to. I'm interested mm-hmm. in this for a second. Uh, the teams that get left out. Yeah. Because um, one thing I forgot to mention with the Ajax Rotterdam thing mm-hmm. is that there's PSV Eindhoven. The other huge team in the Netherlands. Yeah. But just no one's interested in having them in this derby, right? Oh, I mean, so, I mean so Besiktas, what, Fenerbahce, Besiktas and Fenerbahce don't like each other. Besiktas and Galatasaray don't really like each other. So this is a three-way derby, but the but the 
Galatasaray Fenerbahce thing just overshadows any of the other like, it, yeah. triangulations. But, but I would say that like like if you ask a Fenerbahce fan, they'll be like, ah, I don't really like Besiktas. But they'll like have friends who are Besiktas fans and mm-hmm. so forth. But they will be like, I do not like Galatasaray. So like, and I think that's the <laughs> so same. So the emphasis is different. I think Besiktas, at least when I was there, was much more of a like neutral team. That said, in recent years, they've started winning the league. They've had more money to spend, and so maybe that dynamic has changed a bit. Yeah. Um. I would and I would say really quickly. Sorry, because I know I'm going on. Uh, Two things that uh, stand out to me. I almost wanted to say the Besiktas Fenerbahce rivalry. Uh, to your point, because Besiktas's uh, old stadium and new stadium are both right on the banks of the Bosphorus, right by Dolmabahce Palace on the European side. Fe- uh, Karakoy is where Fenerbahce is in Turkey in Istanbul. They're also kind of right on the water, and so you can take ferries from one to the other. And when my wife and I first moved there. When we first moved there in 2011, uh, there was a match day coming up. Our apartment was right by Besiktas' stadium, so we could walk down. And the ferries coming across all had these giant blue and uh, blue and yellow flags, blue and yellow flares going off. And it straight up looked like an invading army was coming <laughs> in. And the whole major road was shut down. There were police everywhere. That was where I was there told. Is, there's something about crossing a river yeah. to go to the yeah. derby match. Yeah, That was what we were watching like from from the uh, like the sidewalk as a Turkish police officer said to us, like, uh, the Akşamlar, which is good night. And we were like, oh, good night to you. And then he just stood there and looked at us and we we're like, oh, you're saying get out of here. Gotcha. <laughs> so that was like, that was the, I, that kind of was the first time I saw that level of intensity between two fans mm-hmm. and to see it uh, that much more intensified because now the stadium ban has been withdrawn. Yeah. Galatasaray fans can go to Fenerbahce games and it's pretty darn intense. Kickers Charleston's pretty intense. <laughs> this is very as, true. As well, though. Um, so, my final one. Do you have anything else um, on the uh, on Galatasaray Fenerbahce? I can see from your face that you do. I do. And Go on. I can't. And this is very dorky. Uh, uh, it's just there was a period, there was a time in 1912 when uh, the basically when the Ottoman Empire still existed. So, you had all of these different countries and these different ethnic groups comprising different parts. They made their own teams. So, the founders of Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, or the then presidents, decided they were going to form one Turkish club. So, that it would be like this one Turkish team would always beat all of the other nationalities in Turkey. It was called like the Turkabulu, which is like the Turkish club. Yeah. And as this big plan, they presented it to the IOC. It was approved. And then the the Balkan War happened and Ottoman, the Ottoman Empire lost like five of their territories. And then it was sort of not needed anymore. And so it kind of didn't happen. But just the idea that like history like could be totally different, that you could have this one massive club and instead like a war and the fall of an empire meant like, ah, no, we'll still say our own separate entities. <laughs> Okay, my final one mm-hmm. is the Seville Derby, also known as El Gran Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, weirdly uh, spelt in Spanish, D-E-R-B-I. So that's a whole se- third third possibility to, oh, add to our whole thing. Um, so the reason I chose the Seville Derby is El Clasico is maybe too obvious and maybe is a, it's, all, it's its own separate show. The Madrid Derby in Spain, obviously also big, Real, Atletico. The Seville Derby I think of as a... Tragic but nice antidote to all the othering and fan violence that we had talked about previously. Mm-hmm. So the Seville derby is Sevilla and Real Betis, right? This derby goes back to like 1915. I think Real Betis was formed as a sort of spin-off of uh, renegade Sevilla mm-hmm. fans, right? So it's got it starts with that sort of bitterness, right? This had been kind of nasty, right? There'd been a lot of fighting. There'd been, you know... The, the, reg- the regular sort of intenseness that goes on when a whole city cares about a rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, it got to a peak in 2007 where Real Betis fans threw a bottle at Juan de Ramos, the Sevilla coach. Remember him? He went on to coach Spurs. Yeah. Threw a bottle at Juan de Ramos during a Copa del Rey, a cup match, knocked him unconscious, right? So this thing had got 
kind of nasty, mm-hmm. um, as rivalries do. But then there's the tragedy of Antonio Puerta. Do you remember this? 2007, Antonio Puerta is a 22-year-old right back, plays for Sevilla. He has a heart attack, mm-hmm. passes away. So he, the, the right, yeah. this young right back mm-hmm. dies. If you remember, I think in 2008 when Spain won the European Championship, a lot of them had Puerta's uh, name. Danny Guita, I think, had, yeah, I think he had, I think he had his face on there or something like there, that. Yeah. yeah, so this thing really united people. It united Sevilla and Real Betis. Mm-hmm. So in the immediate aftermath, this is not long after the Juan de Ramos incident, yeah. um, Antonio Puerta passes away. Hostilities kind of cease, right? Betis chairman and players all say very conciliatory, very nice things mm-hmm. about Antonio Puerta. The Real Betis players show up to Puerta's funeral, mm-hmm. right? And that is this big healing moment. And apparently ever since, when this derby has been played, some years it hasn't been played because Betis got relegated, um, it's been passionate but not violent. So this one tragic incident has kind of united what was once really bitter and hostile. Mm-hmm. So I take it as, obviously it's tragic that Puerta died. I take it as proof that rival fans can get beyond that hatred moment and maybe come back together at some point. Yeah. All right. That's, that's a good that's note. Why I, that's why I chose it because I didn't want to end on a, oh, they hate each other yeah. and they that's, throw things at each other. That's yeah. a good note to end on. I like positivity. There I like go. happiness. Well done, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anything else we want to talk about um, on this topic? Uh, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my final one I wanted to say uh, when it comes to like Eastern European derbies, in my opinion, there is a reason why they tend to sound more terrifying when you watch those games, and I think it's because we like, talk about Romania. Russia. Yeah, well, I, I, like at least in Turkey, and I think in like some of the surrounding countries, is that they say goal in when when the when they score. Whereas, and you've, if you can imagine that for a moment in like the Premier League or in, in the United States, when somebody scores, everybody says yes, and you imagine like <laughs> the like what your throat does to say yes, it always makes your voice go high, and if you say goal, it goes down, and so that's why like whenever there's those goals scored, I think Germany they say. right so like just imagine saying that but yelling it and that's why that whole stadium goes deep and i feel like that deep kind of roar is always a little bit more intimidating and terrifying than the yeah at the end that goes way (laughs) up so i think that always adds a level of intensity to some of these derbies for me all right the things you learn on soccer 101 thank you for listening to this episode of soccer 101 Mm -hmm. if you've enjoyed it please review it please subscribe via itunes or apple podcasts as they call it now please tell your friends about it Uh, really spread the word about soccer 101 and also if this is the first episode you've heard be aware there's a whole bunch of episodes you can scroll through the list and every episode is um just a different piece of soccer trivia a soccer question we'll have an answer in there we sure will all right i've been daryl grove i've been taylor rockwell thank you for listening to soccer 101